After all, there is nothing real outside our perception of reality, is there? Pas te dire ce que tu peux faire pour moi. Tu vas voir, c'est pas compliqué. Tu me parles pas. Tu me poses pas de questions. If you wish to avoid prosecution, I would advise that you comply with our language laws. This is the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the RCMP. That's the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. I'm your host today, Becky Shrimpton, and this week I'm talking to documentarian Shawnee Cohen about his film Rat Park. A quick content warning before we start. This episode deals with a number of incredibly difficult subjects, including addiction, murder, drug use, injustice, and exploitation. In 1978, Canadian psychologist Bruce K. Alexander conducted a radical experiment involving rats and heroin that changed the way we look at addiction and the factors that can contribute to it. Thirty years later, Shawnee and his team explore three stories taking place 10,000 miles apart, exploring the futility of the war on drugs and the effects law and regulation have on communities and humanity. On November 1st, it's going to be screening for one showing only at the Hot Docs Ted Rogers Cinema here in Toronto. After that, you're going to be able to find the film in Canada streaming on Crave. It's being released through Vice, so wherever you are in the world, wherever you find Vice documentaries, that's where you're going to find this one. Here's my talk with Shawnee Cohen. I hadn't actually heard of the Rat Park trials. And I mean, this was done all the way back in the 70s when the worst we were dealing with it was LSD. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about how you found out about this study and uh, what was the film's spark? One of the first documentaries about drugs I made was about three or four years ago, and it was about fentanyl. And someone actually told me recently I was one of the first filmmakers in the world to do a long-form documentary about it. And I essentially went into a neighborhood just outside of uh, Calgary and in downtown Calgary, and we filmed just people using fentanyl. And at the time, a lot of people didn't realize how dangerous it was. When the documentary actually aired, I had, was getting calls from doctors. Doctors didn't even know it was green, didn't know much about it, but that was kind of my first foray into drug documentaries. And then I had made another one for W5, which took place in Sault Ste. Marie uh, just last year. I guess I noticed some trends, and, and one of the trends I noticed, a lot of the communities that I was filming these drug docs, the environment for me had a lot to play in terms of use. What does that mean? Kind of depression, unemployment, like really um, bad social kind of issues surrounding the people using. Unemployment was probably the biggest one. I mean, the people I was filming were super nice and they didn't necessarily cross all the check marks of what you typically expect with people using drugs. And I felt like it was an unfair label. So I was more interested in kind of this environmental approach. And Rat Park, I'd heard about it before. Someone brought it to my attention um, again about a year ago. And I kind of looked at the experiment again and it made a lot of sense to me. Um, because it really talks about this idea that the bigger issues are at play, not just drug use, but environment. And I can go into the experiment itself. It was interesting. It's, it's very simple. It's just put rats in a cage and you give them an option, um, morphine or heroin and water. They would tend to take more morphine until they die. Bruce Alexander, the person who was kind of studying this at the time, said, you know, that can't be accurate. There's got to be more to this. So he built this like wonderful place. It's like a big, almost like a theme park for rats where rats could be with their families. They had lots of toys. They could have sex. They could just have this incredible kind of rat utopia. And then he essentially did the same thing. He took heroin and water and put them at the end of the uh, this big utopia. And he found statistically um, without fail that although some of the rats would 
take the heroin, by far and away, most of them became less addicted. In, compar in comparison to the uh, to the cages, it, it was it wasn't even close. And for a long time, you know, this experiment just didn't have any traction in in I think the the academic world. People had heard about it, but no one really talked about it until I think recently. And and it's unfortunate because I actually really like the experiment. And I think the metaphor that it talks about, that it kind of shows, is is really poignant. It's interesting you use the word metaphor because I was curious about, and this is not something that's really addressed in your documentary, about the parallels between rat behavior and human behavior and what yeah. can sort of be ascertained in that. Um, I know we're currently breeding mice and rats genetically. We're altering them so that they will be more closely genetically related to Mm -hmm. to humans so that experiments and uh, and drug testing, et cetera, will work on them more similarly than it than it does to us. Um, right. But what are some of the parallels that are that are drawn that way? I mean, it's a great metaphor. I'm just curious to see the actual parallels. If you talk to Bruce, he's like kind of in love with rats and there's a lot. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of parallels, actually. You know, I was actually surprised to hear him talk about rats. You know, of course, they're not human and, and we have much more complex social things going on as humans compared to rats but rats do a lot of things that humans do they meditate you know when rats are raising young children young rats i suppose they will have other rat families kind of babysit for them but what was super interesting about rat behavior when it came to drugs that occasionally there would be a rat that would do a lot of heroin a lot of people think the experiment when you look at it at the surface rats didn't do any heroin or morphine but that's not true a lot of them actually did heroin they just weren't getting as addicted to heroin has the rats in cages and what that kind of proved to me was it is possible for animals rats specifically to actually use drugs recreationally i found that to be really really interesting so we kind of touch on that a little bit in the film but i, I think metaphorically aside from the science and, and all the data what i like about this experiment the message that i would say comes across in the film and that i would want people to understand is that you know you can't understand addiction without understanding the environment you're in at its surface if you just take that idea that's what the experiment was really about for me and of course not as if our government is really listening to scientists anyway so right. it's interesting to see yeah. how that can possibly influence general legislation over drugs and uh, the way we handle addicts as not criminals but as potentially sick people people or for recreational use. Yeah. From Rat Park, you then head off to the Philippines where people are being exterminated as if they are vermin. Right. Um, how aware were you of that, that that was happening? I mean, Vice has been covering this for a long time yeah. beforehand. Very aware. I mean, I, I didn't want to make another documentary like the ones I had made in the past where you kind of, you get in the house and you interview the user and the or the parents who just lost a loved one. I, I've kind of felt... I been there done that and and there's so and like almost every documentary or show you see on television like intervention I've, I've kind of grown to hate these shows because at the end of the day i believe they promote the wrong message like if, if you watch the grieving mother and, and you know someone doing drugs in the alley it actually has quite the opposite effect politicians and anti-drug advocates will watch this stuff they'll push for more laws that address you know don't necessarily address the core issues and and i think what that stuff shows me is that the, the war on drugs clearly isn't working drug policy isn't working so with this film my expectation was really simple i i really wanted to go to the best place in the world for drug use and the worst place and maybe use the u.s as kind of that you know middle ground but and, and and i found that when going to these places drug policy was so vastly different in portugal for instance 
if you get caught using drugs, it's essentially a speeding ticket. I think it's like a $45 fine um, for having, you know, cocaine or heroin on you, where in the Philippines, their drug policy is incredible. It's, it's essentially, you know, you're caught with um, drugs on you, you can get a lot of trouble, you get put on a list, if you continue using or caught selling, you get executed. And in paralleling that to kind of, you know, Rad Park, the environments were really interesting. And in the film, I use a lot of high angles. If you look at the Rat Park, you kind of see kind of these utopian rats playing in the cages. It's a much tighter spaces. And I found a lot of the living conditions where drug use was prevalent in the Philippines were in certain areas that these things we talk about, like unemployment and social issues, housing conditions were just horrible. Where in Portugal, after leaving there, I remember telling my girlfriend, like, I could see myself living there one day. It was one of the most beautiful countries I've ever visited. And I wasn't bored. That was another thing, too. I found that in the past, making these documentaries, drug use was super prevalent in places where there's just nothing to do. I didn't find that in Portugal. And the biggest difference with Portugal that I think you see happening that other countries can really learn on is they don't actually treat drug addiction and drug use and drug problems as a criminal one whatsoever. It's like specifically a medical problem. If you're caught using or you have a problem, then, you know, you talk to social workers. You know, there is a lot of bureaucracy too, but at the end of the day, they really take care of their users and they don't treat them like shit for a lack of a better word. And I, and I really kind of like that approach. I mean, it's not perfect. They have their own problems, but it's certainly more wonderful to see drug policy moving in that direction than let's just shoot them. And that's something I think is really interesting about this documentary that I hadn't seen in a long time is uh, often there is this heavy doom and gloom. How will we ever get out of this mess? Yeah. Uh, lawmakers aren't listening. And if they are, they're listening to the wrong people. And, you know, it's just it's just getting more and more complicated. Um, I mean, there's a weird pushback now in the States on marijuana. That's just mm. like, really? You think you're putting that back in the box? Right. Um, but I'm genuinely curious about the way you've decided to to create a non-exploitative show as right. well as have an air of hope within it, being like, if we all kind of get together and agree this is, this is the best for humanity and right. this is the best way to approach this, we're going to be able to do this. How did you find that balance of hope and the message in, uh, in what you were creating? I mean, it's a really good question, and I think it kind of harkens back to the filmmaking approach in the past and you'll see a lot of filmmakers do this they just shoot a ton of drug use for the shoot for the sake of shooting drug use and kind of hope that message gets across i decided in this documentary to absolutely not do that especially in places that were dangerous because a i didn't want to get people in trouble and b i just felt it was a kind of a touch exploitative the only place where you actually see drug use in the film is in portugal because the main character in the film insisted that we do it and i found that to be quite beautiful and and i asked his reasoning and i was like you know tiago you're gonna be using heroin in the film are you okay with that and his response was it's my human right to use drugs and i want to make sure that the world sees that i'm not a criminal for doing that um so for me that was kind of super important, not to show exploitative drug use unless the kind of person had a very direct need and, and asked to be in the film for that purpose. In general, I did want to make a film about drug policy because you don't really see that. And it's a tough kind of nut to crack this idea about what is the government doing and how, are the, how is the government responding to people using? And I felt like if I can kind of show the world that these governments, here's their approaches, whether it's harm reduction, whether it's put people in jail, whether it's use the medical system, if I can kind of teach people, here are three countries, here are vastly different approaches from 
a legal perspective of how we kind of handle the drug problem, it would be much more inspirational and informative, frankly, than just using the vehicle of filming people to exploitively to use drugs. I, I just didn't want to do that. You have a lot of experts and a lot of talking heads and people yeah. talking in different fields, as well as your subjects of the film. And uh, whenever I see that and I'm hearing people who are saying things that can be opinion, but there's often facts tied in. Mm-hmm. If you say what institute they're from, I immediately go and Google the institute and find out, you know, the, yeah, the accreditation and yeah. what this is, um, which I know a lot of people don't do. They're just like, oh, this person who's from this official sounding institute is saying something that sounds important. This must be true. So how do you make sure that you're sourcing the right experts to talk on that specific thing and getting people to talk on camera? I mean, from an expert standpoint, I'm, I, I do a lot of research and advice. We do kind of a lot of research in, in who's actually in the documentary, but it can range. Like in this documentary, frankly, TED Talks were really important to me. And there, there was a few that I watched that I loved and kind of hit the nail on the head when it comes to drug use and, and, and drug policy. So I watched these TED Talks and I found some like incredible experts and I would just tell my producers, I want that guy in the film, make it happen. And, and they did a great job in doing that. So it ranges from TED Talks to Facebook, finding like people that are just on the front lines fighting the drug war. That's kind of how we found Justin. He's the expert in in Florida who he was a former user and just had this insane life and quickly became one of the most important social workers in the country. A lot of different ways to find great characters, but at the end of the day, you find who's captivating, you find who has something important to say. People with experience using drugs was also important because I, I don't like having experts in the film that kind of preach what they want to preach about drug policy or drug use but have never used. And that's why I really like Justin in the film. Then you call them and you have multiple conversations about what the film is. I, I'm a big proponent of that. I don't like to make a film in a box. There's a lot of directors who won't talk to their subjects. I kind of like the idea of making something collaborative. So when I land on the ground and we're speaking to a lot of these experts and people, they already have a pretty good idea of what the film's about and what the expectations are. So Vice is known for its journalistic documentaries, but there is obviously a difference between a journalist and a documentarian. Mm -hmm. Where do you think you sit on the spectrum in terms of your films and what you make? It's so funny you say that. I was just having lunch with my journalist colleagues and we were talking about that subject. I actually don't consider myself a journalist. I'm not trained as a journalist. I took a few journalism courses while I was in university, but fundamentally, I'm trained as a filmmaker, and and I guess you can say documentarian. I think from an ethics standpoint, a lot of the things we do are similar, but they're two completely different mediums. And I, and I find working advice, I've learned a ton from, I literally, like on purpose, I sit beside a lot of these incredible journalists, some of the most famous in the country, and, and I learned about their ethics and I learned about how they properly source material. I try to include a lot of that stuff in, in, in my content, but at the end of the day, every filmmaker has their own kind of set of ethics from Werner Herzog to Errol Morris um, Your own particular journey to filmmaking is actually kind of fascinating to me because you started out as a special effects person. Yeah. And then you've moved into doing documentary. Yeah. What was that transition like for you? How did you end up in that? From a purely technical standpoint, it was it was easy. And, and I think because as someone who was in effects and editing in the past, you kind of learn about filmmaking from the back end. And, and, you know, as an animator and someone who worked in compositing, doing all this stuff, you kind of learn how to fix filmmakers' mistakes and, and you're looking at the final edit. So it was a wonderful opportunity, um, at the very least, for me to 
you know, watch films for 10, 10 years and kind of understand what I liked about filmmaking. It, it got kind of boring just kind of making other people's content, especially from an effects perspective. So, yeah, I, I got a grant from the NFB um, shortly after, I, I guess I retired from animation and made a doc and that was kind of me testing the waters. And then I took a deep plunge and made a film about my family. And that was a trip. And after I made that, I always say that whole process of two years taught me how to be a filmmaker. And from then, went to a whole bunch of international film festivals and got some notoriety and I got hired by Vice. And since then, I've probably made 15 films for Vice. So it's all wrapped in this idea that you're kind of in film and you're watching things that are visual and you're learning how to kind of use cameras and sound equipment. So the thing that became harder was learning the ethics and learning how to make an important film and how to make a meaningful film that can kind of move people for the right reasons. And, and I think later in my career that I, I became more of that type of filmmaker. Well, I just have two more questions yeah. for you, which I ask all of my guests that are a little lighter. Uh, the first one is, do you have a, a film, it can be a documentary or, or fictional, that you would like to recommend to our audience that is Canadian? I'm a big Alan Zwig fan. He's a really good friend of mine. He just made a film called X Coppers, and he spoke to me about it, and, and it was just at TIFF. Yeah, I like anything Alan Zwig does, and I think for me, he's kind of like the fundamental, one of the most important verite directors in our country, and I think more people, he doesn't get recognized enough, and I think more people should watch his content. The next question is, uh, what do you think Canada needs more of in order to support its artists? I think we need more funding when it comes to digital documentaries, believe it or not. I think um, our systems are so set up to fund traditional broadcast revenue streams that it, it's kind of unfortunate that they have so many great up-and-coming young filmmakers who just love putting things on YouTube. It's just hard to convince people to pay money to put things on YouTube, but I think that philosophy is changing. So I would love to see our Canadian media system really reward people that are not interested in necessarily putting something on television, but putting something online. And if we can eventually reach a happy medium where there's a healthy funding network for kids and young filmmakers to do more online content, you'll see much better films coming out. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. If you like what we're doing, please remember to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcatcher. It helps people find our podcast and Canadian media they love. Come chat with us at RCM Pod on Facebook or on Twitter at RCM Pod. Our theme song is by Craig Stewart and our show art is by Paul Stachniak. Join us next week for another great film from the wilds of Canadian cinema.